Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is Sirius XM Progress. I'm John saying Welcome to Progress After Dark. This is Tell Me Everything. We're so glad to be with you. Thank you, as always, to the exquisite Dino Badala and everyone on his crew for bringing a great show to have as a lead-in. We have a lot going on in the news tonight, as you know, and I know y'all have thoughts. So for the next three little hours, we're going to be at 866-997-4748, trying to make sense of everything that's going on, trying to mock the things that need to be mocked, trying to understand the painful things that defy description, and uh, if possible, trying to be amusing while we do it. We're very happy to have Owen sitting in for the great Thea Harper, who's on vacation. Chris Hauselt is our executive producer, and I'm going to be uh, performing for you guys uh, up in the Hudson Valley in New York. This is exciting. Um, A week from this Saturday, I'm going to go up and do an hour or so. This theater has been asking me to go do a show, so I'm going to go do a show. It's at the Depot Theater in Garrison, New York, um, and that'll be Saturday, January 21st. You can go to Phillipstown Depot Theater or go to my social media and find all the information if you happen to live in that beautiful part of the country. Starting to work out the new set for 2023, so that's very exciting. Uh, and we have a great show tonight. Ben Jealous is back on the program. We haven't had him in a while. Ben is, of course, the former head of the NAACP, uh, political candidate, an incredible writer for the nation. He has a terrific book out called Never Forget Our People, We're Always Free. And um, it's a very moving book about, well, about growing up black in this particular country. And he's got a great, great, great bunch of stories. I'm really looking forward to talking with him about Racism, life, and politics. Professor Corey Brechneider is here as well. We have a lot to talk about in terms of the new house and what the fight over the speaker says about the power that the far right wing now wields in our country. And of course, we want to hear from you guys at 866-997-4748. You may have heard by now the very, very sad news that Lisa Marie Presley, the daughter of Elvis and Priscilla Presley, has died. Uh, She was only 54. She was rushed to the hospital earlier after suffering a suspected cardiac arrest, and paramedics were able to regain a pulse before they took her to a hospital from her home in Calabasas, California. She had just been at the Golden Globe Awards, of course. She was um, apparently suffered from cardiac arrest in her home, and this came just two days after she went to the Golden Globes and watched actor Austin Butler accept the award for Best Actor in a Motion Picture for his portrayal of her father. That's actually quite a good movie. She's survived by her mom and three children, including the actor Riley Keough. She is, of course, also the ex-wife of both Michael Jackson and Nicolas Cage. She did release three studio albums, 
in her career. Her last one was called Storm and Grace in 2012. She had a very good voice, and she had a lot of praise for her work with homelessness and literacy in Memphis, Tennessee. Lisa Marie Presley was only 54 years old. I'm pretty sure you're going to be hearing a lot about this story over the next few days, and a lot of details will be coming out. For now, it's just a, a very, very sad loss, and uh, my heart goes out to her loved ones and to everyone who cared. So let's get on to it, shall we? We want to begin tonight with Ben Gazified. Get ready, folks. Get ready for another reboot of a Xerox of a copy. Let's go to the Island of Misfit Smears. You know the Island of Misfit Smears? It's where all the lies and hoaxes and innuendos and bullshit the former party of Lincoln has floated to cause angergasms on Fox News go when they've outlived their usefulness. And at some point, everything the right wing screams about to make white conservative people really angry and notice it's never something that improves their lives it's never a policy to help middle-class people to help working people to help you with your health care to help with education no it's always here's shit you should be angry about and they have a media ecosystem bubble that amplifies it all day long and then as soon as an election comes they drop it you know what the hillary's emails the ground zero mosque the migrant caravan bill clinton blowjob pizzagate benghazi Hey, the IRS singled out these conservative political groups for audit. They didn't really, and they didn't care. As soon as there was an election, they never talked about it again. The Seth Rich murder, the Vince Foster murder, welfare queens. This is how our friends on the right do it. They'll use it for one election cycle, maybe two. They'll convince your conservative loved ones this is the most important story. And as soon as election day's done, Republicans drop it like they tend to drop their first wives. Ground Zero Mosque, Migrant Caravan, those went away immediately. They didn't need things to get white people angry to show up to vote, because that's what they have to do. They have nothing to offer these hard-working conservative white people. Nothing on a policy level, but they can get you really mad. And you'll show up to vote, because critical race theory is going to come turn your kids trans. And then, of course, they're elected, and they reward their donors, and they tell you more shit to make you angry. And that's how the system works. That's the swamp conservative loved ones that's the damn swamp benghazi they used over three elections they used it in 2012 they tried to take down susan rice that didn't work then they used it against obama then they used it against obama again in 2014 then they used benghazi again in 2016 and completely dropped benghazi as an issue on january 20th 2017 did you ever hear a right-wing person tell you to be upset about benghazi after donald trump was sworn in no they dropped it. It went back to the island of misfit smears. Well, the varsity has a new player, folks, called up from the minors. And remember all the talking points you had to memorize about all the faux scandals? Remember, Hillary testified for, for 11 hours before Benghazi. Well, no, Barack Obama really was born in America. There's a birth announcement in a Hawaii newspaper. Well, Hillary Clinton, she, she, it was the consulate uh, in Benghazi. It was the, not the actual embassy. You have to remember all these. I mean, oh, the talking points that go through it over and over again. The Ground Zero Mosque. It's not at Ground Zero, and it's not technically a mosque. And we argue these points with our right-wing loved ones like they're debating in good faith. It's just a gish-gallop shit show. While you're actually giving the reasoned arguments why a point your conservative loved one has is bullshit... They've already moved on to five more pieces of bullshit that make them happy. It's angergasms, folks. Umbridge is what the GOP manufactures. That's what they've got for non-millionaires. Get ready to start memorizing a bunch of fucking talking points 
about how Joe Biden's documents issue has nothing in common with Donald Trump's. Are you are you ready to be so freaking bored of talking to ignorant people, ignorant fucking racist white folks that we all know and love and they're all in our families or our coworkers or that old Facebook friend, you know, the ones who can't spell your correctly. The ones who think you could support grab him by the pussy when he promises to turn away war refugees and bring back torture. And yet somehow, because he wants to put poor women in jail for abortions, which the Bible doesn't forbid, he's Christian. Yeah, these dumb, regressive Caucasians who keep slowing down the evolution. And we love them. They're our relatives, but they're so gullible. Oh, my God. There's no group more gullible than white conservative people. You know it if you have them in your life. You try to deprogram from all this. Remember with the Iraq war, we tried. We gave them all the facts. We showed them Bush and Cheney were lying. They didn't care. Then Trump came along and said, Bush lied you into war. You're goddamn right he did. I mean, it's just a cult. So today, Joe Biden was set to deliver remarks about the latest inflation figures, which I kind of thought the Republicans would want to talk about, right? Because it's got better. It's got better. <laughs> no, they don't care about inflation. What's wrong with me? They don't care about anything they talk about. If they cared about inflation, they'd do something on a policy level to help you, right? Like if they cared about illegal immigration, they'd start locking up the white people who do the hiring. They don't give a shit about those people. They don't give a shit. They just scream about it on Fox to get guys like our right wing callers here to call in and repeat the talking points that Tucker has chewed up and fed into their mouths like a baby right wing bird. So after Joe Biden gave these remarks on the economy <laughs> because we've heard that the white house released a statement showing a second batch of classified documents was found from biden's time as a vp and this time it wasn't in the university of pennsylvania it was in a garage at his residence in wilmington delaware of course that's all the reporters want to talk about mr president classified material peter Ducey. oh my god oh let's let's show a little bit this exchange with peter Ducey will show you the press corps and the conservatives have found their new benghazi even Karl Rove, the most right-wing pustule on Satan's taint, is coming out and saying how what Donald Trump did was illegal and what Biden did doesn't appear to be illegal. And I support investigating all of them. Yes, investigate Joe Biden, but, but also investigate Trump. Yes, investigate Hunter Biden, but also investigate how the fuck Jared Kushner got $2 billion from the Saudis. But no, our conservative friends, they're instructed what to be angry about and what not to be angry about. And it's not hypocrisy if it doesn't bother you. So give a quick listen. This exchange with Peter Ducey shows the press has their new Benghazi and they are not going to let go. Classified material next to your Corvette. What were you thinking? Let me, uh, I'm going to get a chance to speak on all this, God willing, soon. But as I said earlier this week, people, and by the way, my Corvette's in a locked garage. Okay, so it's not like you're sitting out in the street. <laughs> but anyway. Oh. Yes, as well as my Corvette. Um, but as I said earlier this week, people know I take classified documents and classified material seriously. I also said we're cooperating fully and completely with the Justice Department's review. As part of that process, my lawyers reviewed other places where documents from my time as vice president were stored and they finished the review last night. They discovered a small number of documents of classified markings and storage areas in file cabinets in my home and my, my personal library. This was done in the case of the Biden Penn. This was done in the case of the Biden Penn Center. The Department of Justice was immediately, as was done, 
The Department of Justice was immediately uh, uh, notified, and uh, the lawyers arranged for the Department of Justice to take possession of the document. So you're going to see, we're going to see all this unfold. I'm confident. Thank you very much. Okay, so you get the idea, right? This is the next two years. Biden was saying the inflation figures for evidence that the economic plan is working and they're giving families across the country breathing room, and no one cared. Biden said the House is a new speaker, and I called and congratulated them, and I'm ready to work with them. No one cared. This is our country now, and it's going to stay polarized. In 2017, you had the Mueller investigation, so they turn around and had this bullshit John Durham investigation. And I don't know why we had the Robert Mueller investigation, because he gave them 10 counts of obstruction of justice and the Democrats just let it sit on a desk. At least the Robert Mueller investigation paid for itself. 2022, Jack Smith is appointed by Merrick Garland to investigate Trump's handling of classified documents and his efforts to overturn the 2020 election. So now Robert Herr appointed by Garland to investigate Biden's handling of classified documents. Now, of course, Garland had to do this because Merrick Garland cares so much, as well he should, about the appearance of impropriety. But here's the thing, right? They waited so long to do it for Trump. They did it right away for Biden. And it shows in both cases it's the same reason. Merrick Garland is terrified of being called biased in any way. Now, by the way, he did appoint a special prosecutor today. And did you notice Biden didn't fire him? Biden didn't rage tweet about it? Biden didn't have a public tantrum and call it rigged and a hoax because he's not a petulant, spoiled man-child. But this is where we're at. Garland said today he strongly believes that normal Department of Justice processes could have handled the Biden investigation with integrity. But, you know, people are watching. So we have to do it this way. What did you think of this? All I thought is, my God, how, how do we not have this debate with the right wing guys? This is what they're going to feed them for breakfast. I'm going to be having racist Rob from Orlando calling up, talking about this. And again, here's the deal. Investigate them. We're liberals. I don't give a shit. If Joe Biden broke the law, haul him off to jail. It's really simple. But the same people who have been defending Donald Trump for lying and stealing and ignoring subpoenas are going to now try to engage you in debate at the lunch table or at your picnic and try to make you think it's the same thing. The question is, how do you do it? <laughs> do you engage or do you just say, guys, I'll see you next bullshit scandal? Because that's it. They're all hypocrites. I'm sorry, but they are. And, and again, you know, any Democrats who say, don't investigate Biden, they're hypocrites too. Investigate them all. Investigate all their kids, guys. But why is Joe Biden saying at least my garage is locked? Ugh. Sorry, Libs, if you didn't like Donald Trump giving that bullshit excuse that at least the classified nuclear documents were in a locked room in the basement of his hotel. Being locked in Joe Biden's garage, not much better. So, again, there's a lot of differences. The volume of documents is vastly different. The methods of discovery are vastly different. Will this be a headache for Joe Biden? Again, assuming it's nothing, right? Assuming it's like if you take a library book out of the library and you don't check it out and you realize you have it, you say, oh, shit, sorry, I brought this home accidentally. You give it back to them. That's it. But if you steal a library book and the library calls you and says, please bring the book back and they send you letters and say, give us back our book and you don't do it and they have to hire a commando team to go get the library book back. That's the difference here. White House lawyer Richard Sauber said the administration is confident these documents were inadvertently misplaced, blah, blah, blah. But Carl Rove went on Fox News the other night and talked about the differences. I mean, when the Biden people found out about it, they called the FBI immediately. They called the authorities. They turned them over. We spent a year watching this go on at Mar-a-Lago. It ended in cops coming to recover the documents because Trump couldn't stop lying. 
So no doubt this will be a headache for Joe Biden. No doubt you're going to hear CNN cover this all the time as the Chris Lictification of that channel continues. It's not going to help with ratings, Chris. Hate to tell you, not going to help. So what's next? Well, more of the same. More of the island of misfit smears. <laughs> and I do hate reruns. But again, let's see how it plays out. The Biden people did the smart thing. They turned it over right away. And they're going to cooperate in every way possible. In other words, the exact opposite of what Donald Trump did. Let's see if the media pays any attention. Because again, I'll believe the media is liberal when they cover labor as much as they cover this week's political scandal or Johnny Depp Amber Heard. But we want to know what you guys think. Is this thing going to be just clogging up our TVs for the next two years? And there's actually a very interesting conspiracy theory someone told me about now that Tucker Carlson floated that these documents were planted by Democrats who want Joe Biden out of the way well before 2024. Jesus Christ, folks. Welcome to Conjecture City, where everyone's mayor. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Well, you know what I heard? Joe Biden stole classified documents about Obama's socialist plan to ban gas stoves. Sorry, I'm working on my writer's packet to submit to Tucker. I'm John Fugelsegg. This is SiriusXM Progress. We're at 866-997-4748. I need somebody smarter and more moral than me. We've got him. Corey Brechneider is a professor with a PhD in politics from Princeton, a law degree from Stanford, and he uses them to fight crime in the minds of students in the poli-sci department at Brown University. You have read Professor Brechneider in the New York Times, Time Magazine, Politico. You should get his book, The Oath and the Office, A Guide to the Constitution for Future Presidents. Damn, I love this book so much. Also, check out his Penguin Liberty series books on free speech, impeachment, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg's most notable cases. Professor Brett Schneider, welcome back, sir. Uh, thanks, John. Your intro uh, gets more inflated uh, every time. I especially like the crime fighting uh, part. That's thank you. Well, thank you. You know, you know what? I, I got to tell you, I, I've seen what George Santos can get accomplished. It's really inspiring. Um, I'm lying about my own resume, too. Um, it is so good to talk to you, Professor. And, and again, I, I began the show by telling people it doesn't matter what the facts are. You'd better get really used to memorizing the talking points about how Joe Biden's documents and Donald Trump document stories aren't the same thing. And we all better get used to learning these talking points, repeating them in conversations with people who don't care about the facts and won't hear us anyway. Seems like that's where we're at. 
Yeah, you know, I wish I could say that this is just going to be an issue in talking to the extreme right, <laughs> but of course it's not. I was just, you know, in, in getting ready for the show, looking at what the coverage looked like, and TNN's definitely doing CNN. that, both sides, and you have to be yep. take it seriously. And, you know, we know so little about what these documents were. Um, you know, what we could get into the differences, of course. I mean, he, he wasn't fighting actively lying to investigators surreptitiously, you know, intentionally. I think that's the key word, hiding yes. them possibly for nefarious purposes. That's part of what we're trying to find out from this investigation. I would be shocked if Joe Biden was involved in some scheme or there was any kind of an intent here to to oppose the you know wishes of of yeah. government agencies like the National Archives or, or the FBI is in the Trump case, but it's already being covered that way. you got to take it seriously. It looks the same. And that two-sides narrative that gave us Donald Trump in the first place, that said on the one hand, on the other hand, and media's obsession with this kind of fake objectivity, uh, fake fairness, uh, I'm really worried, and especially with the new direction that cnn seems to be going in that's that's not just fox we're talking about and uh yeah we might be in for two two years at least of uh you know yeah. on the one hand on, on the other hand of course and it'll be the most important story that's ever happened in the world and if joe biden <laughs> isn't president uh on the first day of 2025 it'll be forgotten and never mentioned again just like benghazi yeah. just like everything else they do um but yeah. you know Corey, the argument they have that i've saw all over yesterday and they're having a field day with it um and and i agree cnn is by far the worst culprit cnn mentioned this story three times as much as fox the first night um, mm. You know, Chris Licht, we all know who hired him and who's running CNN now. But mm. what's fascinating is they say, when's Biden's house getting raided? When's there going to be a raid on Biden's house? And you, you'd think <laughs> right. it would be enough to come out and say, well, right. Biden cooperated and right. Trump lied to them and blew off subpoenas. So right. so that's why. But that's not enough, is it? I mean, we're, yeah. we're going to keep on saying Biden cooperated, Trump didn't. And they're going to keep on asking the same question because it's about asking the rhetorical question. It's not about making anyone's lives better, Professor. It's right. about getting the umbrage up. Yeah. And, you know, in the, in the world of, I mean, to go back to your, to your intro, in the world of, of crime, the, the mind does matter. That's what really does make the difference often between whether a crime was committed or not what's the intent here and if it was an oversight you know on biden's part as this looks like it probably was that's just very different than the intentional deceptions stealing information for your own private purposes and yet that you know that's a distinction that just gets lost in the news cycle and on television and you and i can talk about it we have a half hour to kind of get into these issues but when you have 15 seconds you know it's much easier right. to say look they both did it they both had documents in their house and exactly i mean the whole point of that raid was that he was lying and, and keeping documents that he was supposed to have turned over that actually had been negotiated to be turned over and uh, nothing like that happened here to the contrary it was about an overzealous attempt to be ethical and and the lawyers turning in documents that they thought, you know, they had, yeah, they had made a mistake and they were owning up to it uh, mm. rather than try to hide it. And, you know, maybe none of this would have come to light if you had more unethical lawyers and a more unethical president, but they were trying to come clean and to be honest about what happened. And uh, that's just a world of difference from the intent where it, where, it, where it's to hide. Also, you know, I got to say, it's just an unfortunate thing when it comes to the way news coverage works that, 
we've got to report as if we know all the facts when we don't. I mean, there's something so suspicious going on with Trump. What it, what it, what are we going to find out? You know that he wanted these documents. Why was he fighting so hard? keep them what was he going to do with them those things that we just don't know and it could be really bad i'd be shocked if anything like that uh you know i'm sure that's not what's going on in the Biden. i mean i'd be i'd be shocked if we ever found out Corey. i'd be shocked if we ever ever told what was in those documents at least not during uh donald trump's lifetime but you know i I gotta say uh this is something you know i'm used to saying in my life the the democrats didn't do themselves any favors you know initially when we heard about the first trove of documents in University of Pennsylvania, it was easy to come out and say, well, you know, they weren't in Biden's house. OK, like it was at UPenn. It was at this think tank. Like it wasn't like he brought them and locked them in his basement. And then a couple days later, a couple days they later, we found, oh, you know what? There were more documents and they 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 were locked in his garage next to the yeah. Porsche or yeah, Trans Am or whatever the, the hell his car is. Yeah. So it, it's. Corvette. It's like, you know, oh, Joe Biden, sometimes I forget because you achieved so much. You're still a Democrat and you're going to shoot yourself in the foot every chance you get. <laughs> yeah. They, um, you know, look, I, I, on the one hand, I, I feel compelled to say that this looks the same in the most superficial way. It's not the same. On the other hand, is it a blunder politically? Of course, it gives ammunition to the right. And, you know, as I said, to, to the way that it will be covered in a lot of the mainstream media it's an easy story to do that it's the same it's an easy way to score these fake objectivity points to claim okay on the one hand on the other hand and uh yeah it it could be a real disaster as i said we might be talking about it for two years because you know once you give the right wing something to grab onto they will run with it and their specialty is to take the thing that trump is accused of and then accuse the Democrats of the Democratic Party. Of no, the I have, of course, and, of course, of course. But this time the Democrats here. are helping them make that accusation. But can yeah. I tell you that the, the part no one's talking about, Corey? I mean, I don't expect it from CNN anymore, but the part no one's talking about is how juicy can the documents be if they let the vice president have them? I mean, <laughs> I mean, can I we also it. just say I that, like, it. with the confidential stuff the president has probably has a bit more heft to it? Yeah. I mean, the, what does the vice president have, like the schematics for the mall he opened today? <laughs> yeah, he, his portfolio, I think, was not the same. As, the um, vice president uh, shows up in Kristen's his, battleships. His right, right, <laughs> yeah. right, right. Yeah, it's the it's the map of the uh, tour that he's uh, going to go on in, in Copenhagen. <laughs> She's going to right. shake hands of but again, you know, it, you and I can sit here and talk about the fact that both stories should be investigated. Both incidents should they all investigate all of yeah. it. And if a crime was committed, go ahead and prosecute. It's very simple to say that. And you and I both know that chances are Trump did commit a crime and chances are Biden was negligent but didn't commit a crime. Right. And we both know it doesn't matter. The answers don't matter. The facts yeah. don't matter. And what is ultimately proven to be the truth will not matter. It's all about getting Fox News viewers angry and outraged now. That's it. Yeah, I mean, there's one hope. You know, I'm uh, on this maybe slightly more optimistic uh, in that, you know, we have special counsels looking into both cases. And, you know, I trust this Justice Department in particular to do the right thing. And, you know, these are career professionals that are going to be looking at this. And I think what's going to come of it is that in the Biden story, I think they will come out and say there was real negligence here. And it sounds like there was, especially in, in, the, in the case of it being stored in the garage near the Corvette. 
mm-hmm. but that that's not a crime. That the Espionage Act requires malicious intent, and that's not what's going on here, or kind of recklessness that's very close to malicious intent. Now, in the Trump case, I just don't think that's what's going on. It, it looks extremely suspicious. That minimum, there was intent to keep these documents away from prosecutors. It looks at least like there's a good chance that you meet the intent requirements of the statutes involved here, including, of course, the Espionage Act and also the Presidential Records Act, which was passed to try to keep Nixon from doing very similar things. Uh, And, you know, that's the difference between a crime here and, and not a crime. Negligence Meaning, you know, you should have done better. That that was <laughs> not great to miss mm-hmm. these records being stored in this way. Uh, versus, like, I'm using these for nefarious purposes and intentionally deceiving investigators and the National Archives, and that is what happened. It looks like We're- in the in the in the Trump case. And just a, a final thought is, I do. Th- I mean, I, I trust that this Justice Department has integrity and that they'll do their job. And the job of prosecutors is to move ahead on the facts of the prosecution or not. And, uh, you know, in, in the Trump case, there very well might be some serious things going on there. The fact they made the decision to raid Mar-a-Lago, there must have been something in that in that treasure trove of documents that was quite serious and certainly not the Copenhagen tour of a vice president or anything like that. <laughs> uh, were you surprised when Joe Biden went on Twitter today and called it uh, a witch hunt and a rigged investigation? Oh, no, Joe Biden didn't do that. Sorry. No, he, <laughs> he didn't. He never called yeah. it a witch hunt, did he? No. Yeah. Professor, I do want to ask you, uh, walking across the hall just a bit, um, what your take was on the remarkable events we saw last week about this uh historic fight over who the speaker will be and and what this means about the power that the extreme right-wing fascist caucus now wields within the party of lincoln uh yeah, the, the idea that this is the party of lincoln is uh you know about well yeah i mean they're not even the party of quail they're, yeah. not, they're not even the party of <laughs> yeah. palin anymore sir bush one even bush two i i'd be happy with compared to what we've got you know mm. i think watching this play out you know there was a lot of talk about Popcorn. Liz Cheney had a great photo of her eating popcorn while watching this. But it, it is, to me, totally frightening in that you have a party, half of the American public, basically half of the, the major parties in this country. Unfortunately, there are only two, and this is a two-party system, uh, is not interested in governing. And the, maybe there are individuals in it that are interested in governing. They're interested in media and media spectacle, and that's what you saw. And this isn't the end of it. I think that the fight over the speakership, this sort of refusal to go a- along, you know, not caring at all about getting on with the oath of office to uh, do their duty as, as members of, of the legislative body, That's just a a symbol of the overall thing to come, which is going to be the most, I think, horrendous spectacle that we've seen in this country. Maybe not ever, but certainly since the House Un-American Affairs Committee. That's what I think we're we're coming down to the equivalent. Let's talk about that because the government. Yeah, it does look like potentially very scary. I mean, they're going to be out there trying to string up anybody they can. But as you pointed out, they don't care about governing. This is all just performative. No. They they care about right. giving monologues that can get some yeah. time on Tucker that night. It's all about the right wing yeah. media machine here, just like Benghazi. Do you think that there'd be any way to actually have any teeth to this? I mean, beyond harassing uh, the president's son about his addiction issues, 
Like, what can they really do other than just get donations from the people who already like them? They're not going to do anything, are they, Corey? Well, I think the harassment is the point, and the harassment, I think, can do enormous damage to the country. So, if you know, you think of what the uh, McCarthy committee did in the Senate and what the, you know, lesser known, but probably more vicious House American on Affairs Committee did in the 40s and trying to look for communists throughout the federal government, including Richard Nixon and others uh, going after members of Hollywood. Uh, you know, there was no legislative agenda there. There was uh, just an attempt to defame and destroy people. Sure. And I think that's what they're going to be able to do. And I think that they are you know, going to use the subpoena power in a way that some people would defy them, and, you know, there's a history of that, but others, you know, will be afraid of the consequences of of doing that. The question of how you enforce these subpoenas will be interesting because it'll be charged to the Justice Department to basically right. indict people who don't follow these subpoenas, yet they're going to be issued in these completely frivolous cases. So that's one dynamic that, that we're going to watch playing out. But, uh, you know, I, I do think that it's a massive platform and just the same way a lot of the techniques that we were you know proud of congress for using in going after trump and in trying to hold him to account jamie raskin and others the january 6th committee the impeachments of course those were proper and important uses of congress's power now there's a bizarro version of that that we're about to see i wouldn't be surprised if there is an impeachment of Biden, either over the documents or if they don't want to highlight that because it calls too much attention to Trump uh, over the Ukraine issue. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's exactly right. the inverse of what happened during the Trump impeachment. It's, it's using the story that, that Trump was trying to get from Zelensky as fodder for impeachment of Biden. We might see that. I mean, it could get that bad. It's almost like the most canny thing Biden could do is announce he's not running for president. Imagine if Biden says, I'm going to be 82, folks. I'm going to bow out this time. They're going to have to drop all their Hunter Biden stuff and start learning dirt on Gavin Newsom. I just, I, you know, it could yeah. still happen. Um, I do that want to ask you. the but, worst thing, I mean, to try to keep the country focused on some legislative agenda and rob them of the ability to, to do the two years of destruction that they have planned. At, at minimum, it would throw them through a loop and but, you know, but I professor say, they have I, to i admire the president but there's something to be said too about opening that field up and and getting someone new in there of course the worry is can you get somebody who can win and um you know the, that we can continue to talk about well i mean and indeed they they can but i mean you know do you have any hope that there can be any kind of consensus by on a bipartisan level uh, in the next two years i mean a part of me does hope that say for things like you know, raising the debt ceiling and not letting our government go into default on our debts. Uh, the Wall Street donors to the Republican Party really don't want that to happen. Can we look right. for some coalitions between mainstream Republicans, the majority of Republicans in the House and the Democrats to get around the Nazi clot caucus? Normally, I would say yes. But, you know, they they, from my understanding, have negotiated several rules that are going to make it really hard to govern in any way and in, in the even even you know basic semblance of, of normalcy on issues that there's of course a uh, general interest in in pursuing and the most important one i think is the ability to call snap elections on the speaker and yeah um you know How that really gives that? these looney tune people the uh, uh, Bobert and, and Matt Gates the uh, a real power in being able to say no. And so if they're not getting everything that they want, 
Um, now, you know, maybe they won't. Well, they'll see that opposing, you know, sending the country into economic freefall is not in anybody's interest. And so there'll be some sanity uh, on those issues. But, you know, you have people who think that the Federal Reserve is, you know, a plot of, of child molesters or whatever mm-hmm. they're saying on the QAnon yes. website. So, you oh, know, when yes, you I have know. that fragile majority, um, that's a worry. I mean, I'd love to see the Democrats try to pick off the most moderate uh, voices in, in, you know, forming a coalition with them. And but I, I don't know what the chances yeah. of that are. But the, the majority is so slim that maybe that's one hope. But honestly, John, I'm just really cynical about what's about to happen over the next two years. I'll tell you one thing that won't happen. You won't see any Democrats using their power to just have a snap election for a new speaker. I think Democrats are going to be very, very content with watching Kevin McCarthy and his caucus be at each other's throats for the next two years. Professor, it is such a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you so much for joining us. I can hear the laws approaching your house, so please use that getaway we discussed. Um, go through the tunnel, and you know you know where the money is. You're okay. Uh, Corey Brettschneider, thank you. Follow him at C on the Twitter, and thank you for still being on Twitter and classing that place up. We will be right back with more of your calls. 866-997-4748. Former head of the NAACP, Ben Jealous, joins us in the next hour. This is Progress. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is Series Sex and Progress. We're at 866-997-4748. Of course, our MAGA friends always go to the front of the line. We've enjoyed them so far tonight. I'm so thrilled to have Ben Jealous on the program. Um, I always love listening to this man talk about pretty much any subject, and he's had an amazing life, the son of a white father and a black mother whose ancestors include Robert E. Lee, parents who had to leave the state of Maryland because their cross-racial marriage was illegal, a man who went on to become professor of practice at University of Pennsylvania. He's former leader of the NAACP, former president and CEO of People for the American Way. He's currently executive director of Sierra Club, and he's the New York Times bestselling author of Reach, 40 black men speak on living, leading, and succeeding. The man's a Rhodes Scholar. He ran a great campaign for the governor of Maryland. And his new book is one of those rarities that manages to be as powerfully political as it is personal. Never forget, our people were always free, a parable of American healing. It is a great pleasure to welcome Ben Jealous to SiriusXM. Thank you, John. It's always good to be with you. Thank you so much. Happy New Year to you. How have you been, sir? How's your family? I hope everyone's doing well in this crazy time of Kevin McCarthy and COVID. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, everybody's doing well. You know, everybody's doing well. My uh, daughter just turned 17. She's five foot 11. 
and I'm six four, so she in heels looks me mm-hmm. in the eye, and that is the most unsettling thing in my life right now. <laughs> my ten year old <laughs> just hit five feet, so I'm you, you've given me a preview of what I dread. Um, I, I, I want to congratulate you on a book that is uh, so elegantly interweaving the political and the personal. It's really, really beautiful. And I'm, I'm curious, what was the inspiration for this particular book and, and how you chose your title, Never Forget, Our People Were Always Free? You know, it's funny, John, the book started off a very different book, a book really of grievance and loss. I was mourning the chronological death of my grandmother. She at that point was 101. And we knew, you know, I mean, I mean if you ever live with somebody who's outlived like their husband by 10 years and you know is over 100 years old so i get she just kept telling you she was going to die every day well she wouldn't die until yeah. she was 105. wow and then when she was but 103 january 6th happened and i realized i didn't want to write a book about grievance just there's too much grievance in this country i wanted to write a book that ultimately encouraged people to keep the faith that we can pull it all together that we can heal and the way that my own family is healed. My father was disowned and disinherited by his grandfather's punishment for marrying a, a black woman. My mom was ostracized by a lot of her friends who were active in the black power movement at the time. And um, you know, I was born on this bridge between black and white and north and south, and even the old world, the East Coast, and the cutting edge that's Northern California, where my parents sought refuge when they had to, to leave Maryland because their marriage was illegal and, uh, and they could be punished. And, um, you know, I live in the exurbs where there's a lot of casual talk about civil war. And all of a sudden we had a failed coup. And I simply wanted to write a book that if God willing, Martin Luther King was still alive today, he'd be in his early 90s. And his jailer down in Birmingham, the white man who I believe was younger and who was paid so much, was, was paid so little, was paid so little that Dr. King said, oh, you should join the movement, that uh, if if that man still hadn't quite figured it out, Dr. King could hand him this book and say, hey, brother, why don't you read this? Maybe it'll help you understand why we should be working against, you know, working with each other and not against each other. I mean, Ben, if you had written a book that was full of grievance, um, I'm sure it would be powerful and poetic and a great read and very inspiring. But what you've done here is is much more elegant and and it's all grounded in storytelling and you make all the same points beautifully by sharing these stories you, in the case of your grandmother what's amazing to me i, I understand three of her her three of her grandparents were born into slavery but um once you lost her you you talk about how you were doing the research for the book and how much you discovered about your grandmother's maternal line in america that in a way, tells a whole story about this country and allowed you to, to discover a whole new side of your grandmother after losing her. Yeah, it, it really um, it really blew my mind. I mean, unfortunately, I finished the manuscript just before she died, but she was already, you know, pretty checked out and just low energy. So, yeah. you know, and it was um, my, you know, my, my grandmother was the, was the great love of my life. And her grandfather was the great love of her life. The title of the book, Never Forget Our People Were Always Free, was a, a riddle handled down by a woman, my grandmother, who was the statewide leader in the war on poverty in Maryland. She was one of the, maybe the first, one of the first for certain 
black woman to be an executive in the state government here. She was the head of implementation for the war on poverty in Maryland. She was a soldier in the civil rights movement here, crusading social worker that trained a young social worker who would go on to be a U.S. senator named Barbara Mikulski. Right. And, yes, of course. You know, and, uh, and she would tell history as a form of instruction. Uh, but she occasionally would say things that she wanted you to figure out, like never forget that before there were, there were slave rebellions, there were colonial rebellions, which really forced me to study the history of Virginia in the 1600s and how European indentured servants and African slaves kept rebelling together. And then she had one riddle. The title of the book, Never Forget Our People Were Always Free, that confounded me because three out of four parents were born into, or grandparents rather, three out of four grandparents of hers were born into slavery. One of them, her own sister said, uh, was likely a rapist. And so I confronted her one day and said, well, who was free, the rapist? And my grandmother kind of crumbled. And I realized she was repeating something that her grandmother had said, her great-grandmother had said, her mother had said. I saw my sister begin to repeat. It was echoing down our maternal line. And because of some other things I discussed in the book, I realized I need to figure out where this maternal line starts. Yeah. And the... It's amazing. It started with... Yeah, you know, it just blew my mind. And, you know, it. what I realized was I was dealing with a battle cry that had echoed down the maternal line and in part helped respond why all the women in that line that we knew of were rebellious. My grandmother's grandmother ran away from slavery. Her mother bamboozled a white clerk during Jim Crow to let her sit in the back of the office and basically pass for white because she was even lighter than my grandmother. So she could write all of the black children born in the county's birth certificates because mm. we were treated like chattel even during Jim Crow. Uh, they like, we don't write birth certificates for cows, ma'am. So we don't write them for Negroes either. And and my grandmother, uh, you know, graduates from the UPenn School of Social Work in 1953, comes back, leads a crusade against gentlemen's clubs uh, mm -hmm. that are sexually exploiting 12 and 13 year old girls and gets them shut down and establishes child protective services. My mom sues Western High School for girls in Baltimore, the very elite all girls high school. And she is 12 to be in the first class to desegregate it when she's 15. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, and, and, and you, is it true, Ben, that you trace this line back to literal pirates? Literal Afro-Polynesian pirate from Madagascar. When you are a light-skinned black person with roots in Southern Virginia, everybody thinks they descend from Pocahontas. <laughs> that's, how we, that's how we deal with the shame of being the products of a bunch of rapes on plantations, right? As you make right. up a mythology. Yeah. But then... All of a sudden, our, our X chromosome was Asian. Only 2% of African-Americans have an Asian X chromosome, and 99% of those are Native American descendants. So it seemed like it made sense. And then I gave my friend Henry Louis Gates Jr. up at Harvard our DNA and said, please, man, just tell me what tribe. Are we, you know, was my grandma yeah, right? Are we related to Pocahontas? Like, like tell me what's up. And uh, he said, oh, I'll get back with you in six months. Well, Two years later, he hadn't responded to me. So I was like, yo, like, like skip, like, just like, what's up, man? You know, and he was like, Ben, I figured it out. I want you on my show. I'll see you there in a, in a month. I'll explain it all to you. Well, the bottom line, 
And my ep- my episode is the same episode as John as uh, Ben Affleck. I don't bit of a scandal. Oh my. So you actually can't <laughs> Which find we never it got online to see. anymore. Yeah, you oh can't find God. it on online anymore. Um, but anyways, uh, um, Skip uh, figured out that we descend from the Polynesian founders of Madagascar. Madagascar was like the Galapagos Islands when they showed up. And all these crazy species because people had never been there. And they show up and then they take their boats across to East Africa and they bring the Africans over and they intermarry. And so we descend from Afro-Polynesian pirates in Madagascar, but the X chromosome goes all the way back to Indonesia via Polynesia, by these pirates. And well, what would a pirate woman say to her children and grandchildren born into slavery, but never forget our people were always free? And why would she say that? To help the children understand that freedom was their people's history and therefore must be their destiny. It was an act of insurrection. It was intended to incite people to insurrection and it did that and so my grandmother you know whenever if you will she felt like she needed steel in her spine she would just kind of say that and it had that effect it had that effect for all of us it gave us a sense of pride even though it had ceased to make sense because we no longer remembered where we were from that's right Well, that's why I love some of the stories in the book. Again, if you're just joining us, we're talking with Ben Jealous. His uh, powerful new book is Never Forget, Our People Were Always Free, a parable of American healing. And there are so many stories in here that are so moving and encouraging from you working with Arnold Schwarzenegger to your what I've always admired most about your activism, Ben, has been your your opposition to the death penalty and the stuff in here about Troy Davis is, is so moving. And then there's stuff that just like, you know, what happens when a Ku Klux Klansman has to wrestle with what Jesus actually said? I was so glad that you touched on my personal favorite topic in the world in this book. Yeah, no, that Klansman went crazy and then regained his sanity. And in the early 1950s, in the middle of Alabama, led his white family out of the Klan and into the civil rights movement. Yeah. And, but, you know, it was the the thing that that Klansman said, what really is what became the, the, the goal of Dr. King's life as we're, you know, starting Martin Luther King day weekend, the sermon that that Klansman preached after he left the Klan, it was a Methodist preacher in the civil rights movement that, that pastor preached was that any white man who had his hand on the neck of a black man holding him down in the ditch needed to realize that he was down in the ditch with him. And that a rich man walks down the middle of that street and laughs at both men in the ditch, the white one and the black one. Yeah. What he understood, what history shows, is that the purpose of racism, and it, and it almost, you know, we deal so much with the pain and the humiliation, the degradation, and the killing of black folks, at some point, we lose sight of the fact that racism actually had a colonial purpose, and the purpose was to divide people. That's that you right. had these European indentured yep. servants and these African slaves that kept rebelling. The military didn't quite stop it. New laws didn't quite stop it. The thing that worked the best was shifting the culture. There was this word called race. It had been around for about 600 years. It meant genus. It meant type. And when applied to people, it meant tribe or nation. And suddenly... The meaning shifts 100 years into the experiment in Virginia, the 1720s, 1730s. When slaves show up, they are no longer recorded as people from certain ports and certain nations and certain tribes. 
they are recorded like cows. They are just simply Negroes picked up someplace. And what has happened is race has shifted its meaning from being tribe to being your station in a color cast. It starts with the superhuman Anglo-Saxon, descends through Irishmen, and eventually comes to the subhuman Negro. And, uh, And the purpose of that was to, as Dr. King talks about in his letter from Birmingham jail and elsewhere, try to convince poor whites that being white was really something, that it really made them special, That's and that right. they shouldn't associate with the people, honestly, with whom they were most proximal, like their very neighbors who were just of a different hue. And so the purpose of racism, other, in other words, is to preserve mass poverty in order to allow a few people, used to be kings, now it's oligarchs, mm-hmm. to uh, maintain great wealth. In other words, every person who is impoverished in America is paying a real price for racism because it's, it. that racism is what keeps them from asserting their claim most effectively to higher wages, to better treatment, to better education for their children. Well, there's like 8 million and change black folks in poverty. There's 16 million and change white folks in poverty. And all of them need to understand that racism hurts them too. Exactly. And of course, racism is why we don't have union strength like we had 50, 80, 100 years ago. Racism was used to break up organized labor. It's been used to undermine the hardworking white people who get suckered by these authoritarians over and over again. And, you know, I, I, I wanted to ask you about that as well, because one of the questions you wrestle with in the book, one of the hypotheticals is this reality that more white men, why do white men die from suicide? more often than black men die from murder. Yeah. And it's, you know, and I'm not just talking about, oh, there's more white men, so there's more of it. No, 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 no. I'm talking about rate per 100,000. And it's been that way for decades. And the real thing is like, why don't we talk about it? You know, white men over 55 are dying from bullets, from suicide, more frequently than, than black Boys and men between 15 and 30 are dying from homicide. Gen and, X white males are the fastest growing demographic of suicides in the country. And it's because we're we're aging into to, to be basically being over 55, which is what it's been for decades. And and why is that important? Because well, then you like stop for a second and you say, okay, well, black folks are dealing with poverty. Well, there's a lot of white folks in poverty. Black folks are dealing with pandemic of, a, of addiction through our communities. Well, so are white families. Black folks are burying a lot of people who have been shot to death. Well, so are white families. And you start to realize, wait a second, like we have more in common than we don't. Yeah. And the only way that we really solve this is we put, make it all visible. You know, um, Prior to the civil rights movement, say during the Great Depression, the face of poverty in America was white. And you know what? Uh, There was a lot of public support for everything public. After the civil rights movement, one of the ironic sort of prices was that the white poor became invisible. Now the media, every time they show a poor person, like a black or brown person, guess what? So true. White folks started to believe that, that, that addressing poverty wouldn't benefit them. And so just dropped off a cliff. Public support dropped off a cliff. It happened in, in all Western democracies. That shift happened in the media. Um, well, 
what happens when you reverse that trend? A whole lot of common sense happens. Uh, you can look at the issue of opiate addiction. Mm-hmm. Baltimore, where my family's from, face of opiate addiction had always been black folks, even though that was far from the case. I literally used to work in the financial district, and, and one morning was going into my office. I looked to my left. There was a black man nodding off from heroin who was yeah. homeless and impoverished. I looked to my right, and there was a white investment banker on a bench who was clearly going through the same thing. And that's Baltimore, and it always has been. The difference, though, today versus when I was growing up, spending my summers with my grandparents in Baltimore, is from, you know, until about 10 years ago, we was like, these are criminals, lock them up. If they're scourge, lock them up. And then all of a sudden, across the country, the conversation about opiate addiction shifted. And it became, this is a terrible health problem. Addiction needs to be treated as what it is, which is a health crisis. Let's give these people rehab. Wonderful advancement. What sparked it? Sheriffs, the Midwest, the Mid-South, the heartland of the country, being overwhelmed with opiate deaths and totally amazed that nobody was really dealing with it and tired of like burying their own high school classmates. And so they started to, to publish the photographs of the corpses every week of who was dying from opiate overdoses. You know what? It was a whole lot of white people. It was black folks, some brown folks, some yeah. Asian folks, but also a whole lot of white people. And all of yeah. a sudden, it was out there in the open, and we were talking about it, and we dealt with it. Yeah. You know, and this country has done like a one eighty on how we deal with opiate addiction. We can do the same thing on poverty, and we can do the same thing on mass incarceration, going even further than we have. If we stop pretending, if we stop erasing the poor, we stop pretending like everybody who's behind bars is black, like everybody who's in poverty, you know, in poverty is black or brown. Oh no, 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 no. You know, the, uh, the biggest group of poor have always been um, whites in our society, and uh, the ranks of the prisoners are drawn from the poor. And when you walk into prisons, you just look around. A lot of people are shocked by how many white kids are in prison. Yeah. Um, but it makes a whole lot of sense when you look at, you know, the uh, population of the poor and you take into consideration that what inmates tend to have in common is they were too poor to afford their own defense attorney. That's it. That's it. But if you but this is what we always say. If you could convince hardworking, not rich white people that they have more in common with not rich black folks than they do with rich white people you might see the beginnings of some real systemic change via democracy in this country. And I, I, I admire how you try to find the empathy and try to build coalitions. You, you talk about in the book how you found out you're a distant cousin to Dick Cheney. Congratulations, by the way. Um, give my love to Liz. Uh, well, you know, uh, I mean, well, well, here's the thing. So is Obama. So I was kind of okay exactly. with that. Yeah. But then, but then I found out I'm also cousins to Robert E. Lee. And I was like, oh, man. <laughs> you know, I just had to walk away from the computer. And Edward Norton's a descendant of Pocahontas, so it's the circle of genealogy, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you know, got you know, well, this is the this is the joke with Skip Gates, you know. So, so the the episode of the show I was on, you know, was the one that Ben Affleck was on. It, uh, the show was actually taken off. Finding Your Roots was was taken off PBS for a year because. Uh, the producers had bent to the will of Ben Affleck's team and yep. not mentioned that his family, you know, some part of his family had owned slaves. 
Yeah. Um, and, and I, but Skip revealed that day when we were taping that Affleck and I are cousins, we descend from the same Revolutionary War soldier. So I was like, man, look, next time this happens, this is how you handle it, Skip. You know, you, you go ahead and you reveal that. And you say, you know, look, look Affleck, it's going to be okay. Because what we're going to do is we're going to say, and next up is your cousin, the president of the NAACP. And like the karma will just kind of balance out in most viewers' minds. So they'll be like, oh, well, you know, Affleck's family way back on slaves, but today he's cousins to have the NAACP. Like it's all, exactly. you know. Exactly, it's beautiful, just- <laughs> yeah. There's no, there's no skin. You did nothing wrong, Ben Affleck. You're blameless. <laughs> None, nothing, you know, at all. So- you know, um, you know, I mean, we've got to, and we've got to have like a little bit of humor about all this stuff. Oh you my know? God, not, a little, a little humor, but also just you know the ability to say I'm going to not hate someone because they're on the other dodgeball team. I love your stories about working with Schwarzenegger, about Jack Kemp, who now at this point, I mean, Jack Kemp seems like a mythic figure compared to what we're seeing. I, I had to ask you, what do you think? Uh, Mr. Kemp would think if he could see this um, train oh, wreck inside of a fiasco was, last week. Yeah, well, I mean, and his heart would have been broken with the killings in Buffalo. I mean, that's when Jack was yeah. on my mind. You know, Jack. Jack was. Jack was. You know, when he was running for president as a Republican, was asked. I talked about this in book. He was, he was he asked point blank by a reporter, like, "How can you be a a card carrying member of the NAACP and be running?" for president as a Republican. And he said, you know, I've never thought about that before, but now that I do, I've never had a problem fighting for the rights of people I used to shower with. Yeah. Referring to his days in the NFL as a quarterback when it was being desegregated. And he was always just that candid, you know, that matter of fact, that human. And honestly, what the heck could the reporter say to an old NFL quarterback who fought for the rights of black people? It was absolutely the right thing to do. Um, you know, it's going to drop the mic and move on. And and Jack was actually chairman of co-chair with Julian Bond of the Commission on the Future of the NAACP when I became uh, uh, its president and CEO. Uh, he was, you know, a delightful man, and he had the courage of his convictions. And that each of the Republican governors that I mentioned at the point when we needed them to. Uh, help shrink a prison system or restore voting rights for formerly incarcerated people. Or in the case of Schwarzenegger, uh, you know, who was very plain spoken like Jack Kemp, probably the closest thing living to Jack Kemp, um, just said, hey, man, I I used to be a bodybuilder. Like all those guys were felons. Like they all need jobs. Like, sure, let's do that. And that and that counts, you know, having having courage um, to do the right thing, even when somebody else says it has no political benefit for you. Mm-hmm. really matters and i i started to write the book and there was this pattern there and i was like you know what like i was just like i'm not here to promote a party i'm here to promote courage and common sense and compassion and uh so yeah you know i'm i'm a guy who ran for governor as a democrat but the governors that get most consistently praised in my book happen to all be republicans that's why i think it's a it's a very moving read and it, and it makes a, a terrific gift too by the way before i let you go mr jealous and i thank you for staying so late um yeah. before i do let you go I'm, I'm really curious what is giving you optimism and filling your heart with hope right now you know a couple of things one uh, obviously you know is our kids right and they just continue to amaze me i work with i teach young people i work with young organizers and they give me great hope 
But honestly, what I keep reminding my kids is that uh, the beginning of every century in America has been pretty dark. The midpoint has been contentious, and the end has been much better than expected. I had a black grandmother last night say, you know, how can I have any hope for my grandchild who was just born? You know, this century is so much worse than the last. I said, well, it's a reality check. If this was 1922, we would have been a year after the red summer when all the black vets were lynched. We've been a year before Rosewood and two years before the burning of Black Wall Street. So like, <laughs> the faith, Grandma, because your grandma apparently had to do the same thing. Things worked out pretty good. Uh, my grandmother is was an optimist. And what she would say to people is this. Pessimists are right more often. Optimists win more often. And if you want to know the rest of that, of that, pick up the book. And, and it's all right there. It's such a pleasure to have you, Ben Jealous. Uh, please come back anytime. The new book, and I recommend it very highly, Never Forget Our People Were Always Free, A Parable of American Living. Sir, what's the best way for our listeners to follow you and keep up with all your doings? You know, it's real easy on every type of social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. It's just at Ben Jealous, just at Ben Jealous. And John, as a fellow Christian brother, thank you for just having the courage to speak you know, as a Christian, just with common sense. Like the Bible says what it says. You know, it's part of why former Governor Bob McDonnell and I get along so well is we is we understand that, you know, Jesus at the end of the day sided with the least of these. Exactly uh, right. And, you know, and that's that's not a political statement. It's just it's just a fact. And you don't need to believe in any of the Bible as literal fact to know that that's very sound economic policy. Uh, ben Jealous, thank you so much. <laughs> My best to you and your family, and a very happy new year. Please come back anytime. Really a pleasure. All right. Thank you, brother. Bye. Thank you. We'll be right back with your calls at 866-997-GRIT. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I'm John saying This is SiriusXM Progress. We are at 866-997-4748. Hey, guess who got pulled into uh, Biden-Ghazi as well? House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries. Here he is being asked for comment. We've learned the president was informed of the initial classified documents on the same day they were found more than two months ago. Are you concerned the White House didn't disclose this sooner? I have full faith and credit in President Biden. I believe that he's doing everything to 
take the appropriate steps to determine what happened and how to move forward in a responsible fashion. Uh, and I'm confident that he will continue to do so. What does it say to you that documents have been found at another location? Again, I haven't been briefed uh, on the full set of facts in this regard, but I have full faith in President Joe Biden. I mean, what else can you say, right? <laughs> doesn't matter what you say because no one's going to care. People who want to believe this is a tremendous scandal will believe it. People who want to believe Joe Biden can do no wrong, they'll believe that too. Uh, but again, I'm coming down on the side of go ahead and investigate Joe Biden and investigate Donald Trump. And whatever the results are, it won't matter because the right wing doesn't care if it's a fake scandal. They just want to fundraise off of it because they have nothing to offer their white working class base. Bill in New Jersey, thank you for your patience on hold. Hello and welcome. Good evening, John. Hi. You know, nobody uh, expects the Republican Inquisition. Just <laughs> nobody expects the Republican Inquisition. I'm stealing that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, um, it just, the oh, freaking thing is here. By the way, I disagree with you about having this uh, uh, special whatever they should special have whatever what they the special prosecutor for the spe for, 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 for Biden? yeah i mean I, I i listen i think it's a terrible idea but i get why they have to do it but they shouldn't have had it for trump either it should have been handled by the ag Barr should have prosecuted whatever trump did uh in the justice department and the congress should have impeached him but i mean we'll find out right <laughs> we still don't know we don't waste the time you know and uh, they shouldn't have gone after Clinton either. But it's all political moves, and uh, it's that's not the way business is supposed to be done. There's too much mingling between the branches and everything, and uh, it's that everybody should just do their job, and there shouldn't be this intrigue and all this nonsense going on because people don't no longer have um, you know a, a neutral point of view because it's tit for tat and. You know, I, I think it's I, I think it's ridiculous. And I, think I mean, that, could, can I ask a question? Could you could you at this point, Bill, respect a person if they only had a neutral point of view? I respect them. Could you respect I, someone who has just seen everything we've seen, all the injustices and all the criminality and all the lies and just was like, I'm neutral on politics. I, I, I can't imagine. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that you, you have to be a stone or something and not not see the injustice going on. But you have to do it correctly because this will not stop. They're going to hmm. be having a special. Pro this could have been handled by and should have been handled by Barr because it was criminal activity. Instead right. of in, in, inventing this Mueller thing and now having one, because we have to... No Mueller thing was invented. No one invented a Mueller thing. Mueller chose not to follow the money. Mueller handed the Congress 10 examples of Trump obstructing justice, and the Democrats decided not to do anything with it. That's what happened well, with Mueller. Well, I, I, I think they should get a big dumping tank in the House there and, and then do trial by water. It's uh, probably a little more effective. Um, but... <laughs> You know, the the other thing about this whole thing with uh, the, the, the documents is yes, it's it, law. It goes back to England. You know, it's the uh, excuse me. It's the sovereign immunity. Mm -hmm. And you, you can't sue the king without the king's permission. And it means that people are allowed to make mistakes, you know, in the in their job and they can do poor performance 
but right. that's not criminal. Criminal right, exactly. is to do corruption and hide things and steal things and things like that. But you're allowed to make mistakes. I mean, I've made, if you accidentally, if you so what you're saying is if you accidentally take the files, it's a mistake. If you deliberately do it, it's a crime. And um, right. especially if you lie about it and blow up a subpoena. Right. But you had to blunder. Um, by the way, the guy who called you a liar, you know, I, I've been investigating you for years and I'm almost up to one lie now. What so, lie have I told? Uh, tell I me what lie. All about you. What lie What's did that? I tell? What lie did I tell? What's the you one you got? The one I almost, I said, I'm almost up to one. Oh, okay. Thank you. Yeah. For three years. I but, mean, listen, uh, I, no, believe I, me, I'm, I'm a complete sociopath. I do nothing but lie, but I don't do it at the workplace. Here I'm pretty clean. Well, if you don't remember, I announced to you that um, you were guilty of telling 300,000 truths last year, as opposed <laughs> to, you know, Trump, and it was a crime. Okay. So. Yeah, well, it, it certainly is a lonely club, I'll tell you that. Bill, I thank you very much uh, for the call. Have a great evening. 866-997-4748. I want to play a little more just to show how bonkers this is getting with this Biden document story. Here's Corrine Jean-Pierre earlier today facing questions about uh, the timing of the document story. This is A3. Do you acknowledge that the fact that the White House did not reveal this to the public, despite the fact that you've known about it for months, undercuts the president's promise of being transparent with the American people? But, we, but here's the thing. They were transparent. There was, the there, there was transparency in doing what you're supposed to do when these, when these items were discovered. Not with the American people. Look. We, I am here standing in front of you answering these questions, right? The president took two questions this week on this. You've heard, wait, let me just answer. You've heard from the White House counsel who put out multiple statements on this. And so, again, this is an ongoing process. Uh, we want to respect the process. Uh, and we have laid out very clearly what occurred. Uh, and uh, again, don't want to get ahead of this. The Department of Justice, you you all can, uh, will we'll get your your questions answered uh, from them during uh, during this uh, during this time. And so I would just refer you to the Department of Justice. And now, as you all know, there's a special counsel dealing with this. I mean, they did. They told the FBI. They reported it right away. They didn't make a big, splashy announcement to everybody right before Election Day. And that's not a crime. Being discreet about it, not a crime. And by the way, if Donald Trump had just returned the documents he took, answered his subpoena, and gave the documents back, well, the public never would have heard about that story either. You didn't hear about Joe Biden and the documents because Joe Biden didn't do anything wrong and cooperated. That's why his house hasn't been raided.